Good morning, Gateway. My name is Dean Salami. You know, for those of you who know me, you know that I'm a bit of a Bible geek. I love everything about the Bible. I love getting into it. I love learning as much as I possibly can. And I love also hearing great messages about the Bible. About 20 years ago, I was introduced to a gentleman, not personally, but to his preaching by the name of John Phillips. I loved how he preached. His knowledge of the word was deep and wide, but he used alliteration as his method to preach. He was an expositor preacher, so he would take the time out to bring out the truths of Scripture using alliteration. If you know me, you've seen it already, okay? Well, a few years ago, I had the opportunity to try and reach out to him, and I did, unfortunately, I did not get him, but I did get his wife. And his wife had told me that just a few months earlier, he had passed away. He was a victim of Alzheimer's disease. But in speaking to her, it was so sweet because you could clearly tell she loved the man. But she said something that I don't think I could ever forget. She said, Dean, toward the end, he did not recognize anyone, me included. But yet, the nurses tell me that whenever he was left alone, he would sing hymns to Jesus. How does something like that happen? I mean, this disease stripped him of his incredible intellect and the knowledge of his loved ones, but not the love of his Lord? That's amazing to me. Now, I don't have an answer to how that happened, but one thing I do know, Dr. Phillips, he had an incredible devotion to God. One where when his mind failed him, his heart took over. Now, today's message has the potential of helping us to build that devotion because it's really about rhythm, right? Now, I can't guarantee it for you, but I can at least get you started. So let's pray. Father God, we thank you so much for this opportunity to be able to gather. Father, this is our Sabbath. We take the time out of our busy schedules to spend time with you so that you can readjust our hearts and our minds and that you would help us to stand contrary to this culture so that we be the shining lights that you have called us to be. Now, in this hour, Lord God, we simply ask that you would speak as the old prophet Eli told young Samuel, when you hear him, just say, speak, Lord, your servant hears. So now, Lord God, we ask that you speak. For all of us desire to hear what you have to say. We commit this to you even now. In Jesus' name, amen. Now, we had an extended worship service this morning because I'm not going to keep you long, okay? I only have three points for us to consider, and I'm going to take my seat. We're going to be looking at the book of Exodus. Now, I know we have been camped out in the book of Leviticus in these last three messages, but today being that we're going to be speaking about the Sabbath, I thought that Exodus 20, verses 8 through 11 was the best place for this subject. So if you would, stand with me as we read from God's Word. You guys are familiar with this passage of Scripture. It is called the Decalogue, better known as the Ten Commandments. So, verse 8. Remember the Sabbath day by keeping it holy. Six days you shall labor and do all your work, but the seventh day is a Sabbath to the Lord your God. On it you shall not do any work, neither you, nor your son or daughter, nor your male or female servant, nor your animals, nor any foreigner residing in your towns. 
For in six days the Lord made the heavens and the earth and the sea and all that is in them, but he rested on the seventh day. Therefore the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and made it holy. You may be seated. My three points are simple. We're going to look at the placement of this command. We're going to look at the pervasiveness of this command. And we're going to look at the purpose, finally the purpose of this command. The placement, the pervasiveness, and the purpose. Now, the word Sabbath is the Hebrew word Shabbat. And it simply means to cease or to stop. In other words, in our context, to rest. So immediately we can see that this command probably has above any other observance that we're going to be looking at, it has the most pull in the Jewish life because it actually sets the rhythm. Six days on of work, one day off. Six days on, one day off. That's a clear and simple rhythm. Now, traditionally, the Jews observe on Saturday. We as Christians observe it on Sunday. But what you need to remember is the rhythm. Six days on, one day off. Six days on, one day off. The reason I say that is because you won't get caught up in the argument on which day it's supposed to be, Saturday or Sunday. It really doesn't matter. It's the rhythm that we're talking about. Remember, six days on, one day off. And by doing that, we remember what Jesus has told us. Man was not made for the Sabbath. Sabbath was made for man. So, you know, many scholars believe that Jesus, when he was asked which was the greatest of commandments, he was actually summarizing the the Ten Commandments. Now, if we follow Jesus' lead, what we find is that the first four commandments speak to loving God with everything that we are, and the last six talks about loving our neighbors as ourselves. But if we do that, if we follow that, the natural question, of course, is what does rest have to do with loving God? Well, that brings me to my first point the place of this commandment. Now, we can't get a good grasp of the fourth commandment until we understand the three that precede it, okay? And so what we're going to do is take a look at the setting of the call that God has put on Israel. Let me read that for you. It's from Exodus 20, and we're going to start at verse 1. And God spake all these words. It's interesting to note that God is speaking, because in every other interaction that we had prior to this, Moses was the one speaking to the people. And God now, in the Ten Commandments, is speaking directly to the people from Mount Sinai, okay? And he says this, I am the Lord your God who brought you out of Egypt and out of the land of slavery. You shall have no other gods before me. You shall not make for yourselves an image in the form of anything in in heaven above or in earth beneath or in the waters below. You shall not bow down to them or worship them. For I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God punishing the children for the sin of the parents to the third and fourth generations of those who hate me, but show love to thousands of generations of those who love me and keep my commandments. You shall not misuse the name of the Lord your God, for the Lord will not hold anyone guiltless who misuses his name. Now, it's very interesting that God began in verse 2, I am the Lord your God that brought you out of Egypt. That preamble was deliberate. See, in the ancient Near East, when someone does something for you, and it's a clear and true action, it brought a moral obligation for you to respond in kind. And so God, bringing them out of slavery from Egypt, there was a demand to be able to respond in kind. And what God does, though, is that he is formalizing it. And what he's saying is, I'm going to tell you how this is to work. 
and he speaks, that's the setting of his call, and he's speaking to the culture in these three commandments. Now, let me explain to you. He has three commandments that he says, no other gods before him, no graven images, and do not take the Lord's name in vain. Now, no other gods before him, you have to understand the ancient Near Eastern culture. They had gods for everything, for crops, fertility, rain. You name it, they had it. And they also had a national god, okay? But that national god was largely completely ignored unless there was war. So all these other gods were appealed to before the national god. See, this is what God is saying. I am the Lord your God. There will be no one else before me. You will not make an appeal to anyone. I will not share that with anyone. No one else but me brought you out of Egypt. I deserve all your worship, and I will demand all your worship. No other gods before me. Now, we look at the graven images. We can be tempted to think that no graven images means that there's no image that is complete enough to express who God is. And that's true. But the context tells us something different. Because those graven images that the, uh, the other cultures had, what they did, they symbolized the very presence of that God. And what God is saying is, that's unacceptable. He is jealous. Again, he is the one who brought them out of Egypt. And no one else is worthy of that worship. Only him. Okay? Now, with the, taking the Lord's name in vain, that usually was simply trying to make a promise that you are trying to make it seem genuine by calling out God's name. But that was really just misusing your name because you did it for personal gain. And God said, none of that. I'm not going to have any of that. Okay? Now, but if you heard in the message, in those first three commandments, did you hear? He makes a a clear statement of his character. He's jealous. He will judge iniquity. He is merciful to people who are obedient and he will hold people accountable for misusing his name. Now, with all of that, we can begin to see and better understand why the Sabbath was instituted and commanded. You know, this had to be commanded because this type of relationship had never been seen on this scale before. The ancient Near East had never seen the true God wield such convincing power on on behalf of a slave population and then claim them to be his. Only he could prescribe what the proper response could be. And they needed a day to simply figure it out. The question, of course, is how do we deal or how do we relate to this God? Well, the Sabbath was set aside for that purpose, to figure out how do we relate to this God. Because it's not just about taking a day off from work. Because taking a day off from work was not an adequate enough response. It has to be more. And as we sung earlier, in order for us to rest in God... We have to know him, and that's what the Sabbath is about. Now, if we look at the display of God's power when he pulled them out of Egypt, and we look at these commandments and just the statement of his character, you know, we need at least a day out of every week to try and figure out who this God is. You know, in my own time with God, I am sometimes struck with how awesome he is. And honestly, I'm left with an inescapable conclusion. I just don't know who it is I'm dealing with. But oddly enough, instead of driving me away, it strangely draws me in. And I need more time. I need that day each week to reset and get to know him better. Now, that brings me to the pervasiveness of this command. You know, it 
was designed to affect every part of Jewish life. See, the people, their children, the slaves, the foreigners, the cattle, and later, I think Ed's going to teach us, that he even had a Sabbath required for the land. The concept of Sabbath was so sweeping that it also was part of the feasts, of the other feasts in the Jewish calendar. And sometimes it bookended it. What I mean by that, the, the, the Sabbath, he instituted a Sabbath to begin the feast and to end the feast. To begin the feast and to end the feast. It was so important that he wanted to have the concept of the Sabbath ingrained in this people's hearts. So, the sweep of this charge is what we see. But we also see the seriousness of it. See, the emphasis of alone that God is making on the Sabbath helps us to see how serious this really is. But it also carries a very, very problematic issue with it. Something that Israel learned in the process. Now, if we don't allow time to rest from work and reflect on God and what he's done, how can we truly love him? We are left with our default settings, which is what the other cultures did for us. You know, the other cultures had all these gods, and they defaulted to what they didn't know. And that's what happened to Israel, actually. She failed and failed miserably to keep the true meaning of the Sabbath, and she paid for it. Israel was forcibly removed from the land of promise, and the duration of her exile was equivalent to the Sabbath she didn't give the land that God commanded. So you see, God is not playing around with this, and he's not trying to force it on us. But what he wants to do is use it as a rhythm in our lives to build the relationship. And the more you get to know God, the more you begin to respond to him accordingly. Okay? Now, there's a security in this charge that God has given us. So if you remember, God said that he would show mercy to those who would keep his commandment, so we would have some security. Now, that is just a little strange because that security comes in knowing what we're doing for God. Okay? That security helps us to get through troubling times. And actually, it speaks to the future as well. And again, it's part of the pervasiveness of this command. Because we know that in the future, the writer of Hebrews tells us that there's going to be a rest or a Sabbath for God's people. And that Sabbath is going to last for eternity. So you can see that it affects the culture and it moves across time as well. Now, I think... With what we've just talked about, you can begin to see with the pervasiveness of the command, the placement of the command, you can begin to see what that purpose of the command is. The number one thing is that it stimulates conformity to God. He is altogether different from any of the gods of the ancient Near East, and we, in response to that, are to be altogether different from the culture that we live in today. Our culture is busy. And it runs at 100 miles an hour. But what we need to do is be able to slow down enough so that we are the lights for this culture that God is calling us to be. And it comes out of the knowledge and the relationship that we have built with God. Now, that conformity also strengthens the connection that we have with God. From experience, I know that if you build this rhythm in your life, your bond with God gets stronger. So much so that the Sabbath will not be enough. You know, a few years ago, I, I used to go to these conferences, and myself and a friend of mine, that he was a pastor, what we talked about, we, we spent some time away from the craziness, and we talked about how much we wanted to get to know God a little bit more. And because we were so busy, it just didn't seem like we had the time. And so what we did was make a pact 
we said, you know what? Six days out of every week, we're going to put two hours of study of God's word in. Two hours of study. And we did that for a year. From Thanksgiving of one year to the Thanksgiving of the next year. And I tell you what, it was the, the, probably the best year of my life. In that time, I got to know God in a different way that I hadn't before. And it actually began to change me. If you ask my wife, I have been, some of you might be surprised by this, but I have a bad temper. But that time with God, what it started to do for me was to really help me to calm down and help me to deal with why it was that I had such a bad temper. And you can ask my wife. She now sees me as a much calmer individual, thank God. But it was because of that time with God. That connection that I made with God in that year, it helped to strengthen me in a way that I hadn't prepared for before. Okay? So my default is going to the Word. Because I'm dysfunctional, and I need to be in the Word in order to keep my thoughts and my behavior in check. But this practice of the Sabbath, it allows for sparking creativity. So for me, it's the Word. For you, it could be something completely different, okay? There's no right or wrong. But one group of people that I know of, what they did in this creative way to, to spend the Sabbath They went around taking pictures of flowers. They wanted to take pictures of God's creation. This one individual mentioned the fact that as he took the pictures of these flowers, he began to see the incredible intricacies of God's creation. So much so that when he ever looked at a picture of something man-made, he said the flaws in it popped out at him. Isn't that something? He compared what God did with what man was doing, and the flaws in what man did popped out immediately because of the time he took to spend just looking at God's creation. And see, and that's the beauty of it. It allows for us to be able to spend time with God and allow that to help us delight in him. Now, regardless how you decide to observe the day, we need to make sure that we do because that's where the the change occurs, okay? Now, the biggest change, of course, is how we see God and how awesome he is. But that truth affects us in profound ways, and it should show up in the way in which we interact with the culture and how we love others. So, as I'm wrapping up for you, told you I wouldn't keep you long. How are we doing in these last three areas? Who or what do our lives conform to? Is our connection to God strengthened by what we're doing? Is there any noticeable change in us? Now, if your answers to these are positive in that you're saying you're conforming to God, and yes, there's a, you're strengthened by it, and yes, you are being changed by it, then you're well on your way, okay? But if you're not, if you have not been able to answer positively to these, let me read again verse 11 of Exodus 20. For six days the Lord made the heavens and the earth, the sea and all that is in them, but he rested on the seventh day. Therefore, the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and made it holy. God didn't have to rest. He didn't exert physical energy in order to do all that he had done. He chose to rest. Okay? And so he chose to rest and made that day special. He made it holy. He set it apart. So the question for us is, because verse 8 of that same chapter reminds us, remember the Sabbath to make it holy, to set it apart. 
So if we find that our lives are really busy and things don't seem right, what place have we put for the Sabbath in our lives? Where do we get that time to spend with God? Let me leave you with this because I believe that this will help us almost as much as the statement that God made in Exodus. John 3.16. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son. Now the proper response is right there for us, right? That whoever believes shall not perish. But the end of it is that eternal life. See, Jesus defines eternal life for us. In his high priestly prayer in John 17, 3, he says, This is eternal life, that they might know thee of the only true God and Jesus Christ, whom thou hast sent. Knowing God is the end of it all. The Sabbath is a process by which we get there. Let's pray. Father God, we thank you so much for this time. I pray, Lord God, that you would help us to put this rhythm into our lives, a rhythm that allows for us to get to know you in ways that we have yet to know and that we could be used, Lord God. Once we learn the purpose of our lives, we can be used by you in powerful and new ways. Help us to really get there, Lord God. Strengthen us, I pray, as I commit this all to you. In Jesus' name, amen. I remember when I was in seminary years ago, there was a series of Um, doctoral dissertations that were done around the idea of the uh, Protestant work ethic and how it had kind of changed work in the modern world. Certainly it began in the West, but in the whole modern world. And they were saying, of course, that the Protestant work ethic was based on the right and proper understanding of the teaching of Jesus, that he taught us to be hard and good workers but you and I, aren't we? We're tempted to feel like, wow, you know, six days is not enough. I can't get it done. I need that seventh day sometimes. And yet he was obviously able to create the world in six days. And I suspect that he knows and maybe knows us better than we know ourselves. And so what he's prescribed for us is that rhythm. Six on, one off. 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 Six on, one completely different. Six at it and after it, one still. Six working, one focused on him. Six busy, one connecting. Holy set apart. All right, you know it. So uh, you've heard it. Let's stand together. And we're going to sing St. Augustine's Declaration this morning to end our time of worship. Spaces filling up the space.
between our frailty and everything you are, you are the keeper of my heart. And I'm restless. And I'm restless, I'm restless, till I rest in you, till I rest in you. I am restless, I'm restless, till I rest in you, till I rest in you, oh God. Oh, speak now. Small voice, let it grow. 
Will you pray with me? Father God, I thank you that we get to find that rest in you and what you've done and the life that you call us to live. Lord, that it's not our responsibility. Our responsibility is to be close to you. Our responsibility is to have that rest in you. God, I pray that you would just remind us of that. And I pray it's just not here on Sunday that we would be reminded of that. I pray throughout the week when we think that we can start controlling things or doing things, that you would just remind us that our rest is in you. It's in the holy and precious name of Jesus Christ that we pray. Amen.